welcome to Fusion Fast Forward. We're building a bridge between the recent online retailer Fusion event and the in-person online retailer event in July in Sydney in partnership with online retailer Nora Network and Mouth Media Network in New York. I'm Mark Rako. One of the most prolific phrases on the tip of so many tongues in retail these days, and for good reason, is customer experience. And with the growth of online retail, creating meaningful, engaging customer experience that truly generates conversion is paramount. It seems the employee and the customer both have roles to play for this story to have a happy ending. Who better to offer big insights into this than Jason Bradshaw, the opening keynote speaker for the July event, who will be talking at that time about staying 1% ahead of the curve. How can we find new ways to be successful? So you can look forward to that. When he's not doing keynote speeches, Jason also serves as chief customer and marketing officer for Volkswagen Australia, so he knows a little something about the topic. For our conversation, we'll also be connecting with Jason's book, The Essential Guide to Customer and Employee Experience, CEX, and how the customers and employee experience can partner hand-in-hand in driving business forward. So, Jason... I truly am so happy to have you here. Thank you. Mark, it's absolutely fantastic to be with you today and be part of this uh, podcast and the event, of course, in July. Yes, yes, that's going to be dynamic. So let's start with this. Uh, let me ask you, are the customer and the employee effectively partners in the same experience if it's successful? Is it a tandem effort? So I'd start by asking the audience to think about the last time they got served out of business. The last movie that they watched and who they remember from that, you know, what character. In every instance, they're talking about the employee. It is the employee that creates the experiences that our customers remember, the experiences that our customers talk about. So going back to your question, I actually think it all starts with the employee, but you have to have the customer in mind. Because if you don't have the customer in mind, then what experiences are the employees designing for? And that's why quite often you talk about customer and employee experience coming together in tandem with each other. Interesting. Now, uh, I'd also like to ask you about uh, two concepts that I've recently been talking to people about that have come up. One is uh, the idea of retail pride, the importance of employees and associates believing in their brand and being proud to work there and how much that translates into the consumer experience that's given. And really that can be the same online because you still have a certain amount of interface with associates in many cases uh, at, at some level of customer service. Um, and then the second is uh, the idea of fanocracy, if you're familiar with that concept. Uh, uh, and, and, and for those who don't know, it's really about um, developing fans of your brand as opposed to followers. Uh, people that that understand what your brand's ethos is about, and that's one of the reasons they gravitate to your brand or the things that the brand supports. Mm. And, and so my question is, how much are ideas like that, especially for online retail, it, important to achieve positive customer experience aside from technological innovations? 
Well, I think really what we're talking about there is an emotional commitment or an emotional buy-in, whether it be from the employees or whether it be from customers. And emotions are everything. You know, the most logical uh, human beings will tell you that they make every decision based on a set criteria that leads them to the right outcome. It's absolutely not the case. We as humans are driven by emotion. Some of us are more aware of that than others. So if uh, an employee is proud of the place that they work at, they're going to do a better job than if they just go there for the paycheck. A fan is emotionally connected to the organization that they're a fan of. Now, a sporting analogy is an easy and obvious one. But, you know, if you're a follower of the Mets, for example, you're probably only going to be a follower if they win a game or if they're just the closest stadium with the cheapest tickets. If someone else comes in and starts winning more games, which is probably the case, uh, or has a better stadium or cheaper tickets, then you'll start following them. But if you're emotionally connected into the Mets, if you absolutely bleed for them emotionally, then win, lose or draw, you're going to be there cheering them on. And, you know, we all know that uh, in New York, there's the diehard Mets fans. And then there's <laughs> then there's another team in New York that uh, is probably a bit more famous. <laughs> I, I think it's so interesting that you chose the Mets because I think that emotional attachment is the only thing that keeps the fans coming. <laughs> well, my very record. first uh, baseball game ever uh, was the US Mets, uh, was the Mets. And yes. when I was living in New York, and uh, so so I do say the Mets is my team. But uh, funny enough, I the reason that. the Mets is my team is because I looked at the ticket price of the Yankees game that was on that weekend. <laughs> you, I looked at the ticket price of the Mets. You were emotionally attached to your money, is what you were. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went to the Mets game, and look, I had a fantastic time, and they became yeah. my team. But uh, I love that. You know, I, I I was a follower of the logical. Chi- you know, I've never <laughs> been to a game. Let's go to a game. <laughs> uh, what is what is the message that is most consistently in your megaphone these days? Without without. Uh, going through the you know the content that you plan to to give in your keynote speech in July what what is the biggest message that you've been delivering lately especially i, I almost said on the heels of the pandemic but certainly as the pen you know things are starting to head more towards normalcy look you know um my my opening keynote is about the 1% and how that can make a difference you know i have enjoyed leading a team at Volkswagen Group Australia that for six consecutive years has achieved month-on-month improvements in both customer and employee experience metrics. If we look at more broader metrics around brand and and lead generation, those numbers are also off the chart. And the principles that I've applied over the last six years are no different to what I applied as head of customer at Target. You have to get out of the way of trying to find the silver bullet and start every single day by looking at what your customers are saying and use that as a litmus test as, is the programs you're doing working? Is there something you need to tweak? Or just fundamentally, do you need to pick up the phone and fix an individual customer problem? Because ultimately, uh, organizations thrive or die on the culture that they create. And so if you're creating a culture that is absolutely fanatical, obsessed 
about the employee and the customer experience, then everything else flows down uh, from that. Now, it seems really simple, and it is, but it's very difficult to do because everyone's always got another meeting to go to, another report to deliver. But you, if you create that culture of being obsessed about being better every day and focused on customer employee experience, you'll get the improvements. You know, that makes so much sense to me, Jason, because you think about a friendship, it doesn't take a lot to keep a friendship going. You don't lie to them. You you call them to show them that you you care once in a while. You you remember their birthday. Uh, you take them out once in a while, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you show that you care and you ask about them instead of making it about you. It's not hard to foster a friendship if you hit those basic notes. But where it goes wrong is when we are too lazy to do that or we forget to do it or for some reason we are unaware that we should do it. Yeah. And look look seems- at the richest man in the world. He created a company called Amazon. And from day one, he said what mattered most was his customers. Now, there is no surprise that Amazon's been a success. And what do they do? Every single day, they deliver on their promise. And, you know, to get back to an earlier question, what's more emotional, what's more loyalty driving than trusting someone delivering on their promise constantly? So you, I want to get back to the silver bullet idea uh, that you mentioned um, or concept. Uh do you feel that technological innovations that allow different ways of conducting online retail in this case are silver bullets or are they paths to creating better customer experience and, and therefore making the experience easier and showing you care? Look, I, I don't believe silver bullets exist. I think a lot of professionals go down a rabbit hole of months of consulting and you know, looking at data to try and come up with the one thing that they can do to fix every problem in the company. If it was that simple, and if I had that answer, I probably would be sitting on a beach somewhere um, enjoying a much more relaxed lifestyle and counting my money, right? But <laughs> so, so I don't believe in the silver bullet. But to, to your point around online technology and, and retail, I think it's got to be part of a bigger promise that you make to your customers. So if you say to your customers that you're going to be the easiest business to do business with, then what are the tools, whether they be online or in person, that your customers can benefit from to deliver on that promise? So a chatbot for chatbot's sake, forget it. But if you know, take a banking example. There's a there's a bank uh, here in Australia uh, called Ubank, and they identified through their data that customers applying for a new home loan online were just dropping out of the process because they found it very difficult. And they're an online-only bank. So you know, it was very important that customers completed the process. And they found out customers were, were dropping out and they did a, ho- a pile of research around why. And ultimately, they found that customers were getting stuck and it was too difficult for them. So they implemented a chatbot to help customers complete the form. It was the same question, you know, worded slightly differently a thousand times a day. As soon as they put in that chatbot, they had a significant double digit improvement in the number of customers completing home loan applications. And if you're a bank that only does online home loans, you need people to complete those applications. And so it was successful for the customer 
and successful for the business. And that that is a great lens to look at anything from a technology point of view. Will it help me deliver on my promise to the customer? And if the answer is yes, then double down, go hard, go fast. Fair enough. Thank you. All right. Uh, I want to pose a, a strange question to you, which I think is is exactly in your lane. So if we were to put two types of businesses side by side, a brand new retail business, let's say it's an online retail business, but I, I don't know that it has to be. They're designing their path forward in terms of you know success, but also thinking about consumer experience. And right next to them is an enterprise brand that's been around forever, is led by the old guard who's just waking up about new thoughts on consumer experience. When you sat down in a meeting with each of these companies, notwithstanding the specifics of what kind of industry they're in or the specifics of their brand, what do you think the first thing that you would need to talk to them about would be? What what is the first thing they should be thinking about given their two different positions in their journey? How can they make it easier tomorrow for a customer to do business with them? With them? So it's the same it's the same answer for both of them. It's the same question for both of them. Um, one of them obviously has to move faster and me absolutely committed to it. Um, I think the the new the new business on the block is probably going to be ahead of the curve because you know they'll, they'll be trying to disrupt a marketplace. The old guard, to use your words, that uh, they will be entrenched in bureaucracy and red tape. And being asked, how can you make it meaningful, meaningfully easier for your customer now, tomorrow, that's going to take a massive amount of, of organizational shift for the old guard because they're designed to have documents to make everything safe and secure and knowing what the outcome is. The new, gu- the, the new guard, well, they've still got their training wheels on in many respects and and they're willing to throw something at the wall and hoping hoping it sticks. And and you know, I think you can look at ease in a number of different ways. Is is it faster to get to the sale? Is it uh, faster shipping? Is it a more convenient whatever? But how can they be easier? Because all of us uh, have you know this thing called time. There's only 24 hours of it every day, and anything you can do to just get out of my way and make things easier. I as a consumer value, uh, and if I look at look at many of the co- you know companies, look at the taxi industry, and it's an easy example. But there is no reason why Uber ever had to exist, except for the taxi company did taxi companies around the world never thought is there a way to make it easier for customers, and then it came along Uber, and their entire business model was about making it easier for customers. And so they won the game. And I you know, I know from my time in, in living in and, and visiting the US a lot and um, here in Australia and, uh, and in other parts of the world, the traditional taxi guys who, you know, let's call the old guard, are now all trying to launch apps. You, you've missed the boat. You need to find a new way to be easier. You know, given the reality of the moment, again, again, uh, sorry to bring up the pandemic again, but that that is in our world right now. Uh, 
you know, a lot of people have experienced online retail in a way that they never had before. It may be the first time they've really done it in any significant way, or they've experienced new ways of doing it. Uh, and, you know, one of the challenges for brands that also have a, a physical presence is how do we get people back into the physical stores? Because we've invested so much in these stores, but we've also invested now in e-commerce in ways we hadn't before because we needed to bolster that to survive. So there obviously for a lot of brands is this thought about how do we build a bridge between our online retail and our physical presence as appropriate in a way that serves the consumer while balancing our interests. So I guess the question I'm now realizing I'm asking is, is can you comment a little bit on finding that balance between preserving the forward motion that you need to still have and the investments you've made with still paying attention to and understanding the 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 moving target of consumer preferences and what actually makes the consumer feel they're having a positive experience because if i keep trying to if 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 i want if i want online retail but i keep investing on making my brick and mortar store be amazing because i want to attract the maybe i'm not paying attention to what the consumer really wants even though i'm building consumer experience Look, I think uh, if you ask customers if they, you know, there's that famous quote, if, uh, you know, Mr. Ford asked customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster faster horse uh, and he built a car. You need to be very careful about uh, how you ask customers what their desires are because you can lead them down a path that suits your needs, not their actual needs. And so... When the pandemic first hit, one of the first things that I did in my role as chief customer and marketing officer was make some additions to our brand research that we have in market constantly. And we asked a question around, would you be willing to buy a car online? Now, it was always in Volkswagen Australia's plans to have some level of e-commerce, but it certainly wasn't in our original plans for 2020 uh, to be implemented at least. And and through this research, we found that thirty over 30% of Australians were willing to buy a car online. Now, in the pandemic here in Australia, we shut shop. We quarantined people at home. Uh, there was mandatory uh, work from home orders, a, a range of, of measures in place. And so people couldn't go into a dealership to buy a car. Then I had this research that said 30-odd percent of customers or 30% of Australians would buy a car online. So I doubled down on creating an online e-commerce platform. And we did $36 million worth of revenue, over 1,000 customers purchased online uh, in under nine months. Fantastic. But I then have all these dealer partners out there that have these big investments in big buildings, and many of them nice and new and shiny. So... You know, people would say, oh, is it all about the online? Are we, are we forgetting the dealers? Well, no, in our environment, we actually used our dealer partners as a key part of that e-commerce chain. So your dealer partner is still the person delivering you the car, still finalizing the transaction with you and ultimately needing to create a relationship with you because you need to come back and service and buy accessories and, and things like that at your dealership. But in this entire story, I haven't talked about the 70% of Australians that actually still want to go into a dealership and test drive a car before they buy. And I would argue in every industry, there are definitely going to be the early adopters, the quick to adopt that will go e-commerce. There are people that were sitting at home with their 
holiday money left in their bank account going, I'm willing to try new things. Our job is not to just pivot and completely focus on those, but go, how can we create a relationship between online and our physical stores that adds value to our e-commerce customers, but at the same time serves the needs of our customers that actually aren't in a buy online world. And it's not because they won't buy online. I'm happy to buy Tide online every single day of the week, but I'm not prepared to go and buy my new house without seeing it, right? Or, um, you know, even trying on clothes. So, you know, some, you know, a lot, a lot of people say, oh, yes, but you can get free returns. I don't want the hassle. I want to know when I walk out of the store, it fits me and hopefully I look okay in it. So, you know, it's how can you create a absolute uh, reason for customers to go into your brick and, and mortar store? Well, you've got to solve a problem. You've got to be more convenient. You need to solve a problem. You need yep. to add value to the experience. If it's just because you've always had it, that's not adding value. Especially in an industry like automotive in which uh, free returns is not usually a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not big on free returns at automotive. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, just as a side note, or maybe a question, I'm curious, and I don't even mean this as an idea, but I'm wondering if this is something that, that Volkswagen has, has thought about, or maybe it's an industry standard and I'm just not realizing it. You know, it seems like there's a lot of hours of that dealerships are closed where there isn't a, there isn't a salesperson there to talk to them about the story of that car. So people look at the outside of the car and they look at the sticker and there isn't necessarily something to share the enthusiasm and the tone and the excitement of the car. And then a way to engage either I'm interested in this car, contact me or geez, I, I could actually click something here on my phone, you know, scan a QR, QR code or whatever. I could actually go to a marketplace. I could buy this car right now if I wanted to. B creating that bridge between that fit. I still want to go feel, touch the car, look, or I want to schedule a, a test drive or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I know like in in uh, New York, one of the things we're doing is, is we're, we, we've created this interface between QR codes and audio stories with the ability to create conversion and engage, you know, through a, a, a mobile web page, let's say. Using that as an example contextually, how are you thinking about the way to say, look, we know the person's gone there in the hours when when a salesperson is not available. That's a, that's a lot of hours of the day when the shop is closed, quote unquote. Um, that's when a lot of people like to go look at cars because they don't want the salesperson yet till they're ready to talk. But how do we capture those people and use the fact that we do have online retail, online commerce capability to capture those people in some way, create an experience so we can loop them back wherever their preferred buying methodology is. So last year we also, uh, towards the back end of last year, we launched what we call our smallest dealership. And it was around the launch of two new models here in Australia, the Volkswagen T-Cross and T-Rock small SUVs. And um, ultimately, customers could go to our webpage, scan a QR code. Uh, there was a couple of different ways, but it would jump them into a uh, augmented reality application where they could 
turn on the lights, honk the horn, open the doors, look inside, change the colors, configure the car, put it on their driveway um, or in their, gar- in their garage. Um, you know, I, I loved having the car sitting on my desk in, uh, in my office here. And, uh, you know, ultimately at a dealership, you know, the dealership could put that QR code on the vehicle and any customer could scan it and, and have that experience. And of course, once they've configured the perfect car, either arrange a test drive or make their purchase online. And so the challenge for us, you know, we launched that for T-Cross and T-Rock. Our challenge for us is actually rolling it out across the entire model range. And so, you know, it was four months worth of development work just to do those two models. Um, and, you know, we've got 12 other models to do. So I think it, uh, it's a great point that you, that you make. And, and it comes back to being easy. No, why do people want to window shop because it solves a problem that they have or a desire that they just want to have a hassle-free, easy look at the, the potential purchase? But then you need to make, go that next step further and make it easy for them to take the next step. You know, most people are happy to take the next step if you invite them in and make it easy enough for them. I think that is key. That is key is, is, is shortening that path, reducing the friction and so forth. Okay. So let's go back to kind of where we started this conversation, which was the relationship between the employee and the customer. Where do you think that most breaks down and what can retailers do and brands do to try to reduce the chance of that breakdown between that relationship? Is that a fair question? Is that a... No, it's an absolute fair question. It it breaks down in in every company um, uh, because you're you know many companies are driven by the the next quarterly shareholder report or um, you know the the challenge of the day. And it takes a real commitment to create uh, that that connected focus. That look, I think first and foremost, whether you're a customer experience professional, employee experience professional. Uh, starting out or a veteran in the field, you have to stop thinking that you have to be perfect all the time because we are human and things do go wrong. But my challenge would be make the metrics visible so that people don't have the excuse not to act. Now, one of the things that I've done in almost every organization I've worked at is ensure that there is the metric, whatever the metric is that we're following, is visible to every single person in the company, whether it's the janitor, the sales consultant, or the CEO. Because if you know the metric and you still choose to do nothing about improving the metric, that's a conversation. But if you don't know the metric and you choose to do nothing, well then, who's to blame? (laughs) You didn't know things were good or bad or indifferent. And so I'm a big believer that you know, you should always be unashamedly making customer and the voice of the customer and the voice of the employee heard internally every single day so that you that you can't not act. You have to create a compelling friction to act. You know, I keep talking about making things easier, but if you actually want to create change in an organization, there, there's two paths. One, make it really easy so everyone just does it. Or create enough friction that people are compelled to act because they don't like the friction. And so make people uncomfortable enough, I guess is what I'm saying, 
that they constantly strive to do better. And certainly at my opening keynote where I talk about the 1%, I'll share with you just some really simple ideas around how powerful that 1% is. There's a book written called Atomic Habits by James Clear, an awesome book, a great guy. James is a great guy. And he talks about effectively the power of creating a habit is doing 1% every day to form the habit. And the compounding effect of that is much more powerful than, you know, a 30-day challenge or, you know, let's try and do 10% growth and then stop. You know, every banker in the world will tell you, I'd rather you put in a dollar every day into your bank account for the rest of your life than to put in a thousand dollars and never look at it again. It's exactly the same with the employee and customer experience. You you have to uh, make it absolutely the guiding principle of the company and not get hung up on being perfect, but get absolutely obsessed about improving the dial every day. So with that in mind, perhaps a final question is, you know, there are different points in the customer journey. There's obviously the the sales part of the journey. There's the uh, service part of the journey in the process of buying. And then there is the uh, let's say the, uh, the, the actual existence of the product, because I think that the actual product itself is a part of the consumer experience. Because for example, if you have a, a poor product and your, your experience as a customer is poor, much less how the company reacts to that poor product. Can you talk a little bit about how brands and really retailers need to think about connecting those dots between once a customer moves on from one stage to another stage and a different set of employees that deal with them to make sure that that relationship is seamless throughout their journey and even after they're out the door with their products so that someday they will feel like they want to come back and start that cycle all over again. So, you know, a couple of things there. First of all, the product experience is is so pivotal to creating that positive word of mouth. You know, you know, think about think about your cell service, your mobile phone. The product you're buying is the connectivity. And most of us never talk about how great the connectivity is. But the moment we don't have connectivity, well, sure. the, we, you know, the, it's the worst phone company in the world. Sure. It's you know, the same thing if, like you'll talk about a bad restaurant all day long, right? A, a, absolutely. You, you know, we think about a car. You know, I, you know, I, I, not uh, surprisingly, I love the car that I drive. But nonetheless, uh, in the in the new generation model of the particular car I'm driving, we've moved a button, and I hit that button constantly, and it turns the heater on on the steering wheel. Now, the heater on the steering wheel in Australia is probably needed where I live one day a year, so. You know, it's a friction point, and you know, I can assure you, I've provided feedback to the team that made that decision. But the product is constantly reinforcing our decision, our emotional or logical decision to buy the product. It's what we do when something goes wrong with the product that really gives us an opportunity to shine. And so, the the person that sells you your cell service, sells you the car, but, you know, sells you something at Whole, Whole Foods is not usually the person that's dealing with you when something goes wrong. So how do you keep it connected? Well, it starts by making sure that everyone in the company is working to the one 
common promise. Now, I mentioned promise earlier, but what is your customer promise? You know, if your customer promises to, here in Australia, we have an airline called Virgin Australia, Bain Capital just just purchased them. And uh, for a very long time, they were running a campaign called uh, where they were saying that they make flying joyfully simple uh, was there was what they were trying to convey. It will be more joyful if you fly with them. Now, if everyone in the company's job is to make it more joyful and they get a complaint, the lens to which they fix that problem should be through how can I make this a joyful moment again for that consumer? And so whatever company you're in, what is that promise? And and use that promise as the way to guide decision making. You know, will it make the customer proud of their choice if I do this? And if the answer is yes, you're probably right on the money. Mark, it's interesting you, you talked about you know, all the different journeys in a customer cycle. And I think this is an area that quite often we forget is the number of steps in an employee's journey in the company. And, you know, if I could leave your listeners with one thought around improving customer experience. Please. Start by looking at the first 90 days of a new employee's experience. Because if you want an emotional commitment from that employee, your only chance to get it is in their 90 days that they first start with your organization because that's when they're forming all their decisions around, is this a paycheck? Is this a career? Or is this a brand that I'm proud to be associated with? Can you offer any ideas or examples of things you've seen uh, brands do that that have been great decisions in formulating what that first 90 days is like? There's a... Uh, a glasses, uh, a prescription glasses store in the US, Warby Parker. Um, yep. There's uh, similar concepts in Australia as well. Um, as a new employee at that organisation, in the in the first week, uh, you receive a a gift pack. Uh, in that gift pack are uh, some treats, um, some nuts, and a few other things. And why are they there? It seems a little bit odd. But why, why they're there is because they're the treats that the founders used to snack on in the wee hours of the morning when they were launching their business. And so instantly, by giving that in the gift, it gives the manager an opportunity to tell a story that is very human, very personal around the roots of that organization. But then they also go one step further. And my understanding is that they fund this, but I could be wrong. Um, but they pay for an associate, to, the new associate, to go out for lunch or breakfast uh, with an existing or a tenured associate and just have a conversation about what they love and perhaps don't love about the organization to create those connections. You know, humans cr- crave connection. And so they've built into this onboarding process an opportunity to tell a really genuine story about the origins of the company and a mandated, if you like, opportunities to start creating connections with people that you're going to work with every, every day in a non-work environment uh, and, and in a very safe and open way. And I think organizations that find ways to connect where they are today with their stories of how they got to where they are uh, on a winning path to creating that emotional connection with uh, employees, uh, new and old. Jason Bradshaw, I have done a lot of these interviews over the years, and 
Every so often, I learn something absolutely brand new, and this was such an enlightening way to, to, to round out this discussion. Thank you for that. That was really insightful. And I didn't know that story about Warby Parker. That's fascinating. What an equalizer, by the way. The, the bit about the nuts and the, the snacks or whatever. Yeah. What a great way to say, to infer the idea that we're all on the same team. You're, you're, almost, you're, you're just like us. You're snacking on the same thing we snacked on. We're all in this together without saying it out loud, but to, to have that feeling that you deserve these too. And uh, that's, that's pretty neat uh, overall. Thank you for sharing that. Um, any other parting words? Uh, don't feel compelled, but anything else or do you want to finish on that note? No, Mark, look, I always like to leave a challenge to listeners of a podcast. And my challenge is don't wait for the next conference that you go to on customer and employee experience. Don't wait to act. Get some customer data, get some employee data, and just decide to fix something because you need to get started in making the lives of your employees and customers better today. Uh, so, uh, Jason, how can people connect with you uh, directly or find you on LinkedIn or do you have a website or social media? Uh, how could they connect with you? So it's really easy. I'm Jason S. Bradshaw everywhere. So jasonsbradshaw.com will get you to my homepage uh, and to my website. Uh, great opportunity for people to get two free chapters of my book. It's all about CEX. Wow. Um, and Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, everywhere else, Jason S. Bradshaw. I always uh, stress the S in that because <laughs> if you drop it out, you'll uh, end up looking at some very nice houses in California. Not that that's a bad thing, but I think we want to find you. Yeah, Jason S. Bradshaw. And you can find Jason at Online Retailer in July with the uh, opening keynote. Uh, very, very cool. Jason, thank you so much for a really, really insightful... Uh, I feel like I went on a I feel like I went on an adventure with you. So it was a good customer experience. There you go. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with you today. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode of Fusion Fast Forward. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. I'm Mark Waco. Have a great day.